0: In the Gospel of John, you know there are um, what scripture scholars call the I am statements, when Jesus uh, says things like, I am the bread of life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the vine, and you are the branches. It's constantly using this phrase that Old Testament Jews would have understood, uh, or those formed in the Old Testament would have recognized as unique, that God, uh, when he tells Moses his name, says, Yahweh, I am who am. So it's a loaded phrase to, to use this phrase, I am. Um, and Jesus uses it self-consciously. Even at one point um, when they're doubting him, they say, who, who are you to, to talk like this about the law and stuff? Like, are you a rabbi? Or are you someone important? And he goes, um, amen, amen, I say to you before, Abraham was, I am. Which is this present tense of God's existence. He, Jesus is the presence of God in our midst, the eternal God come into our time. But in the Gospel of Matthew, which we read uh, today, there's also the you are, you are statements. Um, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And there's something to be learned there, something uniquely Christian and Catholic um, about our understanding of our relationship to Christ and therefore to the Father, is that the church is the body of Christ. Since Pentecost, when God poured out the Holy Spirit on the Twelve Apostles, and gave them the right to forgive sins and to baptize and to celebrate the Eucharist in memory of him so that his presence could be with his church in an abiding and permanent way, that this, there is no real distinction between Christ and his church. Right? We are the visible presence of Christ in the world, his body. And so just as in Jesus, God becomes visible, before Jesus, God was totally invisible. St. John says, no one has ever seen God, but he's made, been made known in the Son, in Jesus. Well, Jesus is invisible, right? He's ascended to the right hand of the Father, but in sending his Holy Spirit, we are the presence of Jesus in the world. And that looks like something. What does he, what does he mean when he says, you are the light of the world, or you are the salt of the earth? You may remember a couple weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, I, I um, talked about Pier Giorgio Frisati, blessed Pier Giorgio Frisati, who was a, an Italian uh, young man. He died at a very young age when he was only 24 of polio. Um, he's born to kind of a wealthy, important family uh, in Turin, Italy. His father was uh, a, a political guy. He was uh, owner of a newspaper, an influential newspaper, and they were kind of a known family, the Frisatis. But Pier Giorgio... Um, liked to hang out with poor people. He was uh, very active in the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Uh, He would go at night to Eucharistic adoration and pray late into the evening hours uh, and then spend any free time he had between school and his other obligations with the Vincent de Paul Society, going to the poor areas of the city and ministering to them. And um, that's why they believe he got polio. He caught polio by entering these really depressed parts of the city where people were dying of all these preventable diseases because they're grinding poverty. And he never was afraid to go down there. Um, and their, his parents didn't even realize how many friends he'd made of, of all of these poor people, uh, people that he provided for their needs, any little money that he got, he would give it away. And thousands, tens and hundreds of thousands of people showed up for his funeral. And his family was like, who are all these people? And they all knew him or knew of him as this, uh, very holy young man, uh, kind of the presence of Jesus in their midst. And he said, he, he wrote something in a, a letter once to a friend um, that I think gives a little bit of light, so to speak, uh, on what it means to be the light of the world. He says, Our life, in order to be Christian, has to be a continual renunciation, a continual sacrifice. However, this is not difficult if one thinks, what are these few years passed in suffering compared, to, compared with eternal happiness? Where joy will have no measure or end, and we shall have unimaginable peace. We should grasp faith strongly. Without it, what would our whole life be? Nothing. It would have been spent in vain. He says, It is beautiful to live because our real life lies beyond. Otherwise, who could bear the burden of this life if there were no eternal joy as its prize for sufferings? I love these phrases because it shows what's at stake if we don't act as Christians if we don't fulfill our vocation as the light of the world, that the world will sit in darkness, the world will forget about Christ if we are not Christ to the world. And his friend wrote uh, another letter to someone else about Pierre Jorginho after his death about how he was constantly inviting him to go with him on these little missionary journeys, these little journeys of charity to his poor friends. And his friend, who was also like him, kind of from nice schools and a nice family and had plenty of money, he was like how do you how do you deal with going into these revolting circumstances these uh, gross areas of the city where there's just all sorts of sanitation issues and people living crammed in these tenement houses and a bunch of families all sharing the same bathroom and things would get kind of ugly in these areas and pure giorgio said to him and he remembered this phrase later as he was writing it in a letter don't ever forget that even though the house is disgusting you are approaching christ remember what the lord said The good you do to the poor is good done to me. Around the sick, the poor, the unfortunate, I see a particular light, a light we do not have. Pure Georgia was able to see something that everybody else didn't see this light around the poor and the sick and the suffering, the imprisoned. And he followed that light, he went to it. And in that, he showed other people light. But he's also the salt of the earth. That's probably the part of the, of the analogy that's most difficult for me to understand. What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Salt is what gives food flavor. It's what makes it appetizing. Like, I hated vegetables when I was a kid. Unless you put a ton of salt, like broccoli. I don't want broccoli flavor. I want salt flavor to choke down the broccoli, right? Salt is what makes things appetizing. And in a way, to be the salt of the earth as Christians is to make people hungry for more life, right? Life itself can be kind of, we have all this entertainment at our disposal constantly, but we're always bored, aren't we? We have more entertainment now at our disposal than ever in human history, but probably more boredom than ever in human history. Because without some kind of salt, without some, some kind of savor to make it good, to make it taste good, to make it worthwhile, it's all just kind of bland and blah. Well, that's what Piero Giorgio did for his friends, was that he made them hungry. Where they were like, oh yeah, life can be even better. Like, I can live life more intensely. I can go to places that I'm afraid to go and find amazing things there and make amazing connections and relationships. So Christians season the world with the flavor of Christ. It reminds us that there's more to life. And that if we don't do that, if we just live an insipid Christianity, insipid literally means flavorless or tasteless. We just live an insipid Christianity, and we're just checking boxes. We're one more group of people that tells you that if you don't do this, then you're a bad person, and if you do this, then you're a good person. Right? We're, I heard a talk this week from Monica, or one of our focus missionaries, who said there's a difference between striving for heaven and just trying to stay out of hell. Right? A saint, a person who's the light of the world or salt of the earth, a person who makes a person wake up or be hungry for a different kind of life, a saintly life, is that person who's striving for holiness, not just trying to avoid things that will offend God. We're trying to love him and love him in our neighbor. There's a a great video a friend showed me um, about wolves that were reintroduced into Yellowstone National Park. You may have heard about this. It was a few years ago. They reintroduced wolves into Yellowstone, and they've been basically extinct from that area. Um, and as they reintroduced them, they had all sorts of unintended effects. They were natural to the area for eons, um, but because they're kind of a harmful predator and dangerous to people, we got rid of them. But as they re- got reintroduced into that ecosystem, they, they affected a lots of things, like obviously the, thing, the animals that they kill and eat, like deer and elk had to migrate into different areas. They weren't down in the river beds as much feeding on the plants in those valleys. They were more up in the mountains. And that had all sorts of effect on the vegetation in the river valleys. And then other animals that come and beavers that build dams and all sorts of other things were able to use the the extra vegetation. And so actually, at the end of the day, in just a, a matter of a few years, the presence of a few wolves, a few packs of wolves, actually literally changed the course of the river because of the soil erosion or the lack thereof, when the, when the wolves were influencing all of this uh, chain of cause and effect, uh, it had this really visible massive effect. Well, she was pointing out that that's the way that Christians should be, that we might be just a little pack of Christians, but we should have a massive influence. Remember, somebody asked once, if your parish or your church closed, would anyone who doesn't go there notice? Would anyone who doesn't attend services there care that you were closed? Because the question is, are you having a larger effect on the world around you? Jesus is not saying you're a light to your friends. He's just saying you're a light to the world. You're the salt of the earth. And that can be kind of intimidating, but I find the wolf analogy kind of comforting. Because if we are who we we are meant to be, if we are the body of Christ and we fulfill that, we strive for holiness... Not just a minimalism of trying to stay out of hell, but really strive for heaven. Like Piero Giorgio says, life is beautiful because our real life lies beyond. He can see the light that draws him on. That that will have a huge effect. You don't know what kind of effect that will have. I'll finish with this. Jesus' last analogy is a city on a hill or a lamp on a lampstand. He says the city is set on a hill so that people can see it. Right? Or a lamp is not meant to be put under a bushel basket. It's meant to be put on a lampstand to give light to the room. Well, the city is the permanent place. right? That's where you go to for light and warmth. And when you're stuck in the dark valley, you see the city on the hill and you say, Ah, hearth and home. I want warmth. I want home. I want other people. I want community. That's the church. That's this place. Like when people come here to the church, to the Newman Center... They should feel the Holy Spirit. they should feel the light and the warmth, the flavor of Christianity live to its fullness. but the lamp that 's the portable one. I had this old uh, Christmas ornament of Scrooge, and he 's holding like that old school gas lamp or, or oil lamp or whatever you know from Christmas carol like that's what Jesus is talking about, one of those old lamps that you'd like pick up and you'd take into the dark room because there weren't electric lights, and that lamp you could Take with you to illuminate dark spaces. Or you could take it with you out into the darkness to draw people back in and lead them home. This is the city on the hill. You are the lamps. You're the ones that go out into the dark world, into the dark places, to people sitting in darkness. And you light them up. You show them a different way. Not make them feel bad, not accuse them of sin. But to show them another way, to to stoke a hunger, to stoke a fire. I heard a priest once say that faith, the faith is not taught, it's caught like a flame. Right? It's spread by jealousy. It's spread by saying, like, what does that person have? Why are they so alive? Why are they so awake? Why are they so hungry for more life? And when I'm so sitting here in this insipid boredom, it wakes you up. So the world is depending on us. That's what Jesus is saying. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. But who do we depend on? We depend on Christ. If we can't see Christ in the Eucharist, we can't see him in the poor and the lonely and the suffering. We have to have our light stoked, our flame lit, so that we can go out into the world and be that salt and light.